Hey, this is Pastor Keith with Epic Life Church. And if you're tuning into this podcast, I hope it's something that will encourage you. And maybe you can listen to it a couple times and as you're reading the scripture as well and come out with something new and maybe something to think about all day or talk with a friend and maybe use in a house church community or maybe on, on a, a chat across the, uh, the internet in this time that we're separated. Enjoy. Thank you, Tim. Awesome, man. I got a raisin. What I appreciate about Tim is that uh, he's uh, involved <laughs> in getting it done. So I appreciate that, Tim, and just going forward and making that happen. And uh, you guys, we really want people to be able to be together and worship. And so um, if we can do that, I, I, I hate the mask, okay? I'll be honest with you. But to be kind and generous to others and to be safe. We're going to ask everybody to wear a mask while we're sitting in here and singing together and uh, to, to, be, to be kind with each other. So just do that, okay? Um, I'm, I'm with us. I, I don't like the mask either. But it also, there are some proven things that it does keep us safe from the virus. So please just do that. I would appreciate it. And this year... This year is a good year to kind of step into this kind of stuff um, because we are going to talk about the whole year and the whole year is going to be around the idea of mentorship and discipleship. Um, if I can find my page here. All right. There you go. Mentorship and discipleship. This is, I believe, God has given us a, a year of increase. And part of that is, is coming together and figuring out the, the COVID mitigation thing so that we can worship together even more. Uh, figuring out how we can join small groups together. Figuring out how we can come together and be discipled and mentored together. And that requires a, a different way of going about things in this season of life. It's where we are, and so we can handle it, we can figure it out, and I encourage us to do it. So this is a year of increase, growing in Christ together, growing in Christ together. So I left up this in the back, identified for a purpose, this week only. Tomorrow I'm going to take it down, I'm going to put up um, growing in Christ together. If I can figure it out in those letters. As I say that, some of you are now figuring it out in those letters, right? So growing in Christ together, this is a year of increase, uh, a year of abiding in Christ, preparing to act and connecting with one another. And, uh, but we can really only do that if we realize who we are and we are identified for purpose. We are identified in Christ, stamped by the Holy Spirit on purpose. I've talked about that for 52 Sundays, <laughs> the last 52 Sundays, identified for a purpose. When we know who we are, we know what we are about. This bag, check this bag out. Some of you are going to think I'm OCD or uh, just a little odd. This bag is full of coffee sleeves. Full. Oh, there's hundreds of them in here. When I first moved to Seattle, I started meeting with people at coffee shops. And we started, um, and Tim is right, 11 years ago, his wife Casey helped start the church. And we started meeting in coffee shops and just meeting people because we had no idea who anybody was in Seattle. We knew nobody here. And so we just started meeting people, talking with people, hanging out in coffee shops, and uh, encouraging people in coffee shops. And, and eavesdropping on conversations so we could figure out how to have a conversation with them. And uh, I, would, I would, every day um, that I went to a coffee shop to meet with somebody or think or write or uh, be part of evangelism, I would actually bring home the sleeve. I actually don't do this anymore. At one point, I don't know why I just stopped, but for about eight years, I was bringing home the sleeve from coffee shops. So this is, this is coffee shop. Uh, this is uh, actually 2012, September 19th. I would write the date on there. And uh, um, I was meeting at the Oak Tree Plaza coffee shop, Starbucks, with a couple people. Um, we were praying over the vacancies in the park coffee shop and asking God to give us a space there at some point in the future, which is happening right now. This is, this is one from, uh, from 2011. What is that? Five, uh, May, May 4th. Um, I was in Alpharetta, Georgia at, uh, at 
Torrenzio Italian Coffee. That was good. Now here's Two Rivers Coffee Shop on uh, February 16th of 2011 in New Braunfels, Texas. Uh, meeting the first time with Jeff Covington, who's the missions pastor there. And that church has supported us and, and been part of our community for since then, actually. In fact, Alyssa was part of that church and has moved here. Here's a, uh, here's a one from, uh, let's see, March 13th, 2000. I think... 14. When was Josh and Becky married? Is that 2014? Somewhere around there. This is their wedding day. Uh, if you remember and you were part of the church on 2000, uh, on March 13th, Josh and Becky were married at the movie theater in a church service, and we did the church service around that wedding. It was really, really cool. Here's a meeting with... Uh, um, April 20th, 2011, with a guy named Dave Banks. If you don't know Dave Banks, he's part of the church now. He used to be a pastor over at uh, uh, Free Methodist Church. He and I got together in 2011 just to talk about life. And he was struggling with some things. I was struggling with some things. I needed a, a, a voice in my life, an older pastor, and he was that. And we were really able to encourage each other. That was the Starbucks up on 130th. Here's a, a date with Christine that happened a lot. But usually not at Starbucks. Uh, this is one. Oh, I won't even say what this says because um, I'm swearing on this, and it was a pretty bad day. It was a pretty bad, raunchy day, October 5th, 2011. Um, this is uh, um, November 4th, 2011, the day that Dave Peaks died. That was a really, really rough weekend. Super rough. Met with Scotty and Nathan on the same time, and we cried a lot and uh, encouraged each other and the death of that, that homeless gentleman that we knew often. Uh, this is uh, May 22nd, 2009. 2009, walking around the Oak Tree Plaza, praying around that space. Okay, I'm not going to go through all these. There's even an A and PM. I'm sorry, Justin. <laughs> Whoa, that has to be. That ha oh, you know what this was? This was 2010. This was the pew day. It was the day we took all the pews out of this room. The 18 foot pews and the only coffee we could find probably was AM, PM. I don't know. Um, this is uh, this is in 2010. Um, I, I had a conversation with my son, Caden, before school started. I'll go through this. Paul Bronley, Alistair, Patrick. Kelly Roper, Brent and April Clark, uh, meeting with people the last day at the movie theater. Um, Les Metrovich, Jeff Campbell, staff meeting, Oak Tree Church, and in Spokane, Washington, at a Starbucks as I was waiting on my sister-in-law who was in ICU and who would pass away later that day. I don't know what to do with these because they're full of memories and they're full of these moments that I would never remember these days without looking at that date and where that was. Um, I probably should put them in a closet and open them up again someday. But you know what this makes me think of? It makes me think of people's lives that I've had a conversation with. M mentoring. Many of this bag rose. Many of these aren't around anymore. Some of them, as I walk through it, I look and go, man, months, years pouring into this individual. And that person flipped us off as that person left. <laughs> years investing in somebody and this family moving away. Years investing in somebody and, and this family went and started a new church. Years investing in somebody, and uh, this family, this, this couple is now married. Years investing in people, and this couple is now divorced. Years of investing in people week after week, coffee shop after coffee shop, coffee after coffee, Americano after Americano, talking and encouraging and loving on and caring for and praying for and thinking and dreaming and asking God to intervene. Years and years and years of mentoring.
of talking with people or being mentored. Mentor. How beautiful is that? A lot of joy, a lot of sorrow, a lot of wrestling, a lot of resting, a lot of writing, a lot of enjoying, a lot of counseling, and a lot of mentoring. Most of us, I believe most of us have never experienced a true mentoring relationship. Most of us haven't. We talk about it, and the church talks about it all the time. We talk about it in terms of discipleship and mentoring, but very few of us have ever experienced an authentic mentoring relationship as adults, especially. It's accidental, obviously. It's impersonable, uh, mostly, but it's never seldom is it intentional mentorship, intentional discipleship. You know, where we see this the most is in parenting and in coaching. Parenting and coaching, we see mentorship. This is a beautiful example of mentorship. I'm going to get into coaching in a little bit. But as we go through this month, the whole month is on mentorship. It's on walking through how this church would change and how we as humans would change if every single person in the church was mentored. Mentorship, walking with another person in an intentional, intentional pursuit of growth. Approached in humility and confidence with a willingness to ask, listen, and put into action. I'm sorry I didn't make a slide for this, um, but we're going to go over this several times throughout this month. Walking with another person, and this is just my definition of it, but there's probably lots of definitions. Mentoring. Walking with another person in an intentional pursuit of growth. Approached in humility and confidence. With a willingness to ask, listen, and put into action. Mentorship. How would this change our church? If we focus on mentorship and discipleship for an entire year, what would 2021 look like? And how would it change the 20s as we go forward? Mentorship is all over the Bible. And for the the next four weeks, what we're going to focus on in just a few mentoring relationships. But I picked these out because they're they're mentorship of a person with someone mentoring them, him, and he mentoring others. There's lots of examples of this. Men and women throughout the Bible being mentored and mentoring. Today, we're going to talk about Moses being mentored by Jethro and mentoring Joshua. We're going to talk about David being mentored by Nathan being mentoring Solomon. We're going to talk about the disciples being mentored by Jesus and mentoring the churches and individuals in those churches. We're going to talk about Paul and being mentored by Barnabas and mentoring Timothy. It's throughout the Old Testament. It's throughout the New Testament. And this is going to be a really fun journey to go through. Would you join me in prayer? Father, I thank you that you are speaking and I pray that you would speak and that you would put aside and I wouldn't even see notes that I wrote down that aren't yours. I pray that your voice would be heard. I thank you that your Holy Spirit is connecting us. I thank you that we are connected, whether we're here uh, uh, together um, personally or online together as the church, that you would connect us through your Holy Spirit, Lord. I thank you for allowing us to gather as humans together, um, together one-on-one together with three or four people, together in small groups and house church communities, together in large groups, Lord, that we can gather together and, and be present together because of your Holy Spirit and, and have a different sense of life and community because of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for that. Lord, I pray we would step into this new year, that we as a church together would step into this new year determined to grow, determined to increase in our relationship with you as we grow in Christ together. Hallelujah, Lord. And I praise you for your servant Moses and what he can teach us in your scripture today. I thank you for your verses, for what you have for us. May we look at 2020 as a year of of growth out of knowing who we are. Praise God in 2020, identified for purpose and growing into 2021 intentionally. In Jesus' name, amen. Moses, David, the the disciples, and Paul. The Old Testament is where we're going to start, and that's going to be in Exodus chapter 18. Exodus chapter 18, and we'll probably come back to Exodus chapter 18. I'm going to go through a lot of verses in Exodus, but um, kind of plant on Exodus chapter 18. You guys, the Bible is so amazing. 
And I hope, I just pray so often for you as a church and us as individuals, my family also, that we would be engaged in the word of God because this is where God speaks to us. His Holy Spirit speaks to us. He gives us his voice. He, we understand things through the Bible. A lot of us are stuck on the New Testament, though, aren't we? We're stuck in the Gospels or, or uh, you know what? I'm just going to follow the red letters only. And that's okay. That's okay. But rem- and, and a lot of people, this is kind of a new thing, too, this new dynamic of following Jesus. Um, and what often people don't realize they're doing is they're discarding the rest of Jesus' words. So I'm going to follow Jesus only in the, the, the Gospels. We're just going to talk about Jesus and only about what Jesus said, not about the letters, not about the epistles, and not about the Old Testament. And what we, we fail to realize is that the, the epistles, the, the letters to the churches, were written by the very people who wrote the Gospels, or some of them anyway, right? John, right? Um, Luke wrote Acts. And then Paul, as he learned, and he was an apostle of Christ. So we are, we are denying um, our own growth by not reading the rest of the Bible and the Old Testament as well. The Old Testament is so important. Remember when Paul is telling the disciples in the church to teach about Jesus, to teach from the word about Jesus? He wasn't talking about the Gospels. He wasn't talking about the letters. He was talking about the Old Testament. Teach about Jesus from the Old Testament. And everything that's written in the Old Testament. So we shouldn't put the Old Testament aside as an archaic book of some kind. The Old Testament points to Jesus at every step. Um, if you ever read the Old Testament and you're like, well, that's a cool story. Change your, your um, thoughts of the Old Testament and ask, how does that point to Jesus? And so we're going to look at this in, the, in light of mentoring, of a discipleship. So Exodus chapter 18 And let's just start with, um, oh, I was going to start with verse 14. We can start there, yeah. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he asked, what are you really accomplishing here? (laughs) I love it. Why are you trying to do all this alone while everyone stands around you from morning till evening? So what was Moses doing? Uh, Moses was engaged in in counseling he was like the judge maybe the only judge and the people a million people when they had a dispute they would bring that dispute to moses and so there's a line of people in dispute they had arguments they wanted to know the the truth and moses was the man to do that and so they would stand in line. you can imagine a million people and how many disputes there would be on a daily basis Right. If you have a family of four, you know that from morning to night, there's going to be a dispute line. (laughs) Right. So uh, a million people. Here's people standing in line to talk to to Moses and and Moses's father-in-law, Jethro, shows up and he says, what are you really accomplishing here, Moses? Why are you trying to do this all alone while everyone stands around you from morning till evening? Moses replied, well, because the people come to me to get a ruling from God. When a a dispute arises, they come to me, and I am the one who settles the case between the quarreling parties. I inform the people of God's decrees and give them instructions. This is not good, Moses' father-in-law exclaimed. You're going to wear yourself out, and the people, you're going to wear them out too. This job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. Now, listen to me, and let me give you a word of advice, and may God be with you. Of course, you should continue to be the people's representative before God, bringing their disputes to him. Teach them God's decrees and give them his instructions to show them how to conduct their lives. But select from all the people some capable, honest men who fear God and hate bribes. Those those are really important points. Appoint them as leaders over groups of a thousand, groups of a hundred, groups of 50 and groups of 10. They should always be available to solve people's common disputes, but then take it to Moses. So here is Jethro's, Moses' father-in-law, coming to him in the desert. Now, this, the scene is, right, they, the children of Israel escaped uh, Egypt. 
um, across the Red Sea. And now they're into uh, the land. They're, they're heading towards uh, Jericho, heading towards the water to cross the Jordan River and into the Promised Land. And in the middle of that, before they get there, before they sin, again, they, they're in this space. And um, Moses' wife and family, actually, who are still in the, the wilderness, come with her father, his father-in-law, to meet him in the tent and then reunite. And they reunited for the first time. And Jethro, who is not a, a, a Yahweh follower, he is not a, a Jewish man, um, comes to Moses to give him some advice. And, and actually, there's some beautiful backstory in this as well and relationship that is happening. And he says, <clears throat> what are you doing? What, what in the world are you doing, Moses? Now, listen to me. I'm going to give you some advice. Remember, this is Moses. This is the man of God, the man of God. Before, before uh, the man in black, there was the man of God. And that man of God was Moses himself. Psalms 90, if you don't know, Psalm 90 was written by Moses, not by King David, not by the, the brothers, or, um, uh, written by Moses. And that starts out by saying the man of God. That's, that's the title of this this psalm he was the man who encountered the burning bush the miracles the plagues he had the the duel with the pharaoh himself he led a million people across the wilderness uh, out of egypt this is the man of god who face to face talked to god himself and jethro thinks he can come up and give moses a little bit of advice a man who doesn't even know the god of the jewish people but mentoring mentoring accepting it and giving it requires humility I learned a long time ago. In fact, it was my first job out of the first time I went to college. And I worked for this little company that um, built sawmills. And uh, the gentleman who, who ran this company, uh, interesting man to say the least, right? He was not a Christ follower. I was a, uh, a Christian, um, moved back into my hometown and worked at this company that built sawmills and, as a draftsman. And, and I was designing stuff. <clears throat> and this man, we went on this this trip across um, America to Wyoming, actually, uh, to look at the sawmill. And on the way back, we went through a few towns, and we would stop at some restaurants and drive along. And I remember in that old LTD, 79 LTD, convertible, top-down, driving across Montana about 80, 90 miles an hour. And he's, he's just, you know, doing this thing. And he goes, he goes something like, Keith, I think, uh, I think men should have multiple wives. I'm 20. I'm going, oh, tell me more. And uh, he goes on to his whole theory about this. And I'm like, oh, man, this guy, who am I hanging out with? This is not good. And uh, but then later on through Montana, we stopped at this little diner and then in the diner, uh, um, he, we were meeting with this another, another sawmill um, uh, president of the sawmill and a couple of people, and we're sitting around this table. We we're talking. At the end of the meal, uh, the check comes, and he reaches out and grabs the check immediately, just like that. And uh, he pays for the bill and moves on. We get back into the LTD, heading down the freeway in Montana, back when there was no speed limit, and uh, we were cruising along. And he goes, uh, he just says to me, "Whenever you have the chance, pick up the ticket." It doesn't matter if you're the, the boss or the, the guy who's working for somebody else. Just take the opportunity to pick up the ticket, and that will take you a long ways in life. In that moment, or maybe a little while after, I realized that you can learn something from anybody. Sometimes we think, oh, that person, I can't learn anything except what not to do, maybe. Um, but you can. There, there is wisdom. There is points of advice that you can learn from anybody. And we should not ever look at somebody and go, you don't know God, so I can't learn anything from you. And that's what Moses could have said, right? Mentorship, being learning, takes humility. Moses was a man of God, and it is true. You can learn from anyone. So look at this passage really quick, and we'll see in, in verse, verse 7 of Exodus 18, we see this, there's a relationship. So what is, what is mentoring, um, what is being mentor required? So if Moses was being mentored, what does this relationship require? In verse 7, uh, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law. He bowed low and kissed him. They asked each other about each other's welfare and then went into Moses' tent, and they sat and they talked. 
Um, and Moses told them the story of Pharaoh and Egypt on be- and what God did on behalf of Israel. And, and there was this relationship. Relationship is so important in a mentoring um, relationship. Uh, relationship helps. In fact, it drives love. And when we love somebody, we're more eager to be involved in their re- their lives and to give them and, and encourage them and care for their lives. It also requires honesty. And in verse eight, you see um, Moses kind of spilling out to his father everything that had happened. He was telling them about the hardships they had experienced along the way and how the Lord had rescued his people. And and verse nine, Jethro was delighted about this. And so it kind of um, mentoring requires an honesty and a, a transparency. Mentoring only can go as far as somebody is transparent. Remember the time when in the men's movement, there was the iron sharpens iron, the accountability groups and stuff like that. And it still kind of happens. But those things are only good if you're transparent. They're only good if you're honest with one another. You can't sharpen somebody else if they're lying about their entire life, Right. Honesty is super important. When you're holding somebody accountable, if the person doesn't respond in honesty, in humble honesty and transparency, you cannot hold somebody accountable. And so a mentoring relationship requires to love somebody, a relationship with somebody, and to be honest and transparent. And another thing is a, a, a mentor needs to want the best. And so in verse 9, Jethro was delighted. When he heard about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel as he rescued them from the hand of the Egyptians, he said, praise the Lord, for he has rescued you from the Egyptians and from Pharaoh. Yes, he has rescued Israel from the powerful hand of Egypt. I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods. And Jethro is turning here, right? Because he rescued his people. And Jethro is so excited and so happy. He actually went out and offered burnt offerings and sacrifices to God. Um, as, as a mentor, we want the best. And that's why when you want the best for somebody and you're pouring your life into somebody, that's why a bag like this can be full of heartaches and joy. Full of seeing that you poured your life into somebody and that person walked away from the faith. That person walked away from advice, from counsel. Often that happens because there was no transparency. But um, when, it, when it comes to marriage, I, I encourage so often that husband and wives expect or believe the best in one another, right? Just believe the best in one another. Yes, there's hard things, but believe the best, that there's good intentions, that that person loves you. And when, so somebody, when somebody's mentoring us, often it can, it can hurt, and, but we should always go, this person wants the best for me. I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen. So good. Okay, I got to keep going. Wanting the best, um, intentionally, uh, intentional, positive investments, wise counsel. Verse 17, uh, you see this intentional, wise investment. Moses' father-in-law says, this isn't good. Let me help you out. You're going to wear yourself out. Let me help you. An intentional, positive investment in someone. And uh, number five here, we just need to be teachable. Verse 24, Moses listened to his father-in-law's advice and followed his instructions. If you don't have both of those together, listening and following, you don't have growth. We can listen, but not follow. And that's not growth. Listening and following. And so Moses, this man of God, the man who just shot down Pharaoh himself, the most, the powerfulest empire on the planet Earth, just shot down Pharaoh, Right? is teachable he's teachable numbers two three starts out with moses was a meek man a humble man wow that's so good the best teacher is teachable all right the best teacher is teachable the greatest mentor is one who is being mentored himself or herself If you're looking for a mentor in life, look for someone who is involved in another relationship, a mentoring relationship for themselves. Remember, Moses will go down in history as the man of God. In fact, in Revelation, Revelation chapter 15, they're going to sing Moses' song in eternity. In Hebrews 3 and 11, Moses is known as a man of faithfulness, a faithful man who gets put into the hall of fame of faith. He gets into Hebrews. Um, In Matthew 17, 
Moses appears with Jesus on the mount, the transfiguration with Elijah. Moses and Elijah. Here is Moses, the man of God, humble enough to listen. In Malachi 4, at the very end of the Old Testament, the, the verses that we talked about actually um, last couple of weeks, uh, the verses right at the end of the Old Testament is talked about Moses. Moses is remembered. And Moses is remembered more than anybody else in the Old Testament and in the Bible except for Jesus himself. Moses, he was mentored and he mentored because the greatest mentor is one who is willing to be mentored himself. Moses had a blind spot and Jethro came to him and said, listen, Moses, your blind spot is wasting time, is wasting talent, is wasting resources. Moses, you have a blind spot and what you think you're doing is good and it is good. It is good, but it's a blind spot. And you're wasting time, you're wasting talent, and you're wasting resources. His blind spot was hurting the nation of Israel. Although it was good, it wasn't great. It was mediocre at best, right? Are you wasting time, talent, resources of your own or of other people by not allowing yourselves to get mentored? By not allowing yourself to be discipled? Or not, uh, not accepting the advice, not hearing and acting on the advice that's given to you. Don't waste other people's time, talent, and resources. And don't waste your own. Look, at, look for your blind spots, write them down, and find somebody who can speak into that blind spot. Or even, even more, a blind spot you probably don't even know it's there. Right? So find somebody who can locate and identify blind spots in your own life so that in our identifying as, as, for, as Christ followers on purpose, that we can grow in Christ together and, and carry out his work here in North Seattle. So I got to get to the other side. There's, there's Jethro mentoring Moses, but there's also Moses mentoring Joshua, which is a beautiful, wonderful relationship. Moses mentored Joshua. Numbers chapter 11, verse 28, I think it was. Uh, it says that, that Joshua came into Moses' life as a youth. So Joshua and Moses were together. Um, and probably Joshua, actually, Joshua did come out of Egypt. He came out of slavery, probably as a youth, connected with Moses somehow. And this mentoring relationship, a long relationship. Um, so Moses saw the highs and the lows. Joshua saw the highs of the low of his mentor and um, Moses of his disciple. Moses understood the value of raising a young man up to take his place. So he took Joshua with him and Joshua wanted to go. Two things there. Moses took Joshua with him and Joshua wanted to go with and wanted. Two important aspects of of a discipleship relationship or a mentoring relationship. In Exodus chapter 17, we're going to look at a few verses here, a few passages, but just a little bit behind where we were just at with Jethro. We see uh, chapter 17, we see Moses do some, send um, Joshua into war. And so in verse 9, Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow I'll stand at the top of the hill. It's a beautiful story of Moses, the mentor, standing on the top of the hill with his arms raised, as long as his arms were raised high. His, his, uh, the, his young apprentice, uh, uh, mentee, whatever you call that word right now, is escaping me. His assistant, actually he's called several times would be successful as long as Moses' hands were lifted high. And so you see the, the mentor um, standing with the, the disciple as, as he's going out to fight this battle. And as long as Moses has his hands lifted high, Joshua would win the battle. And so after the victory, the Lord instructed Moses. This is in verse 14. Um, well, okay, sorry. Verse 13. As a result... Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. And after the victory, the Lord instructed Moses, write this down on a scroll as a permanent reminder and read it aloud to Joshua. Some of the other versions in Greek kind of portrays this reading aloud, like set it into Joshua's mind. Make sure he understands this. Make sure he knows this because God goes on. I'm going to wipe out the memory of Amalek from the face of the earth. Joshua, go fight this battle. And now recite this, Moses, recite this into the ears of Joshua. 
Moses sent Joshua and then he stood with him. Okay, Exodus 24. A little farther over, uh, 24 verse 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, come up onto the mountain with me and stay there and I will give you the tablets of stone which I have inscribed the instructions and commands so you can teach the people. And we all know that Moses went up on the mountain, don't we? We all know that he was the man who talked face to face with God and took the tablets. But what we don't know potentially is that his assistant went with him. So Moses and his assistant, Joshua set out and Moses climbed up the mountain of God with his assistant. Moses told the elders, there's some elders who previously had been part of that entourage. Moses told the elders, you stay here and wait for us, Joshua and myself to come back. Joshua was on the mountain with Moses. It's super important if you're mentoring somebody and discipling somebody that you bring that person with you. You just bring that person with you. You're going to have a meeting. And it's a meeting with the president of a company and a meeting with, I don't know, in business. And you have someone who's an assistant. Bring that person with you. Just have them sit in the room with you. Over and over and over throughout these years, I've brought people along with me. Often it's Hector sitting in meetings with me, or it's been Avery or Alista or, or others who, who, hey, come with me to a meeting and let's just sit and talk. I was going to bring Justin to Canlis once. <laughs> but that didn't happen. <laughs> so he and I have this thing going back and forth. Uh, a couple of times I've been to Canlis to talk with uh, Mark Canlis up there and just about business and stuff. And I've taken people with me just to sit and talk, but never Justin. <laughs> so next, when we're open, okay, I promise. So it's just it's good to take people with you. Walk with people, right? Moses took him with. Okay, continue. We got to continue. Um, in Numbers chapter 11 and Numbers chapter 13, Numbers chapter 11, Joshua actually takes offense for Moses and Moses puts him in his place. In Numbers chapter 13 and 14, Joshua is chosen to go into Canaan. Um, and then uh, remember with the first 12, he went in and Caleb and Joshua came back out. And, and, and you can see the intensity of Joshua's life. In chapter 11, Joshua kind of comes to Moses' defense. Like, these people are prophesying. Only you can do that, right, Moses? And Moses was like, hey, calm down, kid. Calm down. It's okay. If, I'd, I'd, I wish everybody could prophesy. I wish everybody had the Holy Spirit. So it's, it's all right. It's okay. Settle down there, Joshua. Joshua then would go into the promised land. He'd come out and he and Caleb, um, Caleb meaning this different spirit, this man of different spirit, and Joshua, the man who followed after Moses, they would come before the children of Israel and they would tear their clothes in front of them and go, this is what God wants us to do. We must do this. We must do it. And the children of Israel would pick up stones to stone them. Of course, they got away from that. And fast forward the story to Numbers chapter 34. Um, Numbers chapter 34, right at the end. Yeah, that's a completely wrong passage. So, but I'm... Huh. I don't know. It's probably Deuteronomy chapter 34, though. Yep, Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 9. Now Joseph, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed Joshua, doing just as the Lord had commanded Moses. And so here, um, the, the hands of Moses was laid onto Joshua. God has put his spirit onto Joshua to lead the children of Israel. And then in Joshua 1 and 2, we see Joshua taking the children of Israel into the promised land, leaving Moses's body behind. Joshua is commissioned to take Moses's place. So what can we learn from this? Uh, a lot of stuff in this. Um, if you want to do a deeper study, um, spend, spend the week diving into this relationship with Moses and Joshua. Moses intentionally, there was intentionality raised up Joshua. And Joshua was willing and available, anxious to be with Moses. 
right? The intentionality of the mentor, but the anxiousness, the, the willingness, the availability of the person who wants to learn and wants to grow, the humility in both of that. I am personally, this year, I've, I've just felt like God's really been stirring this in my heart since September to use this year, 2021, to grow personally. I'm going to grow this year in, in really radical ways. I really believe that God has um, put some stuff, the availability of things in my life personally, and I'm going to bring our staff along. And I just want to encourage our church to be intentional about growing and to be mentored, intentional about growing, intentional about it. Come with me. Let's grow in Christ together. This is a year of increase. Mentoring requires a few things. Mentoring requires a depth of humility most of us will never pursue on our own and may not ever experience on our own. Mentoring also requires a slice of confidence that most people will misinterpret as pride. A confidence because we know who we are with Christ himself as identified in Christ. A humility because we know who we are without Christ if we had no relationship with God. Moses knows knew who he was before god he was confident about it yet he was humble he knew who he was so he was teachable he was humble he was confident and joshua then was learning who he was right we can see his timidity at the beginning and then his confidence at the end he was learning from moses to be teachable humble and confident both committed and both following through a mentor cannot force a person to be mentored it must be wanted Let me say that again. A mentor cannot force somebody to be mentored. It must be wanted. It must be desired. In sports, perhaps is the best way to bring this out. Um, If you really want to be involved in a mentoring relationship, get a hold of David Banks and get involved in Fellowship of Christian Athletes. They are doing some amazing, wonderful, just wonderful things. Actually, all the way through this year, mentoring and, and coaching kids. And so in sports, we see, uh, we see coaching, we see mentoring in a really beautiful way. But you can see it in business, in your career, in starting business, in your family, in all kinds of different aspects. So being coached requires the athlete to pursue the coach. How many of you have been coaches? Sports coaches, a few of you, all right. All right, you know that if the athlete doesn't want to be there, you pretty much cannot coach that person, right? It's really, really tough. I used to do some uh, junior league football coaching. Some of these kids were like, mom made me be here. Okay, let's run, guys. No, not going to happen. And then there's those kids who are like, they're standing there, tell me what to do, coach. And they still call me coach when I see them around town. And this was back when they were 10, right? coaching is a beautiful thing so being a coach requires the athlete to pursue the coach if it's really going to work it has to be the athlete pursuing the coach the coach must be the coach must be willing and the coach must be available but cannot be the one who is constantly pursuing the athlete some bad things happen if the coach is the one pursuing the athlete the athlete will become prideful You've seen this if you're a coach and you're pursuing that athlete and you see so much talent, so much talent in the athlete. So you pursue that person, but that, he's just not available. He's just not pursuing back. And so that causes pride. It causes a mediocre level of, of uh, activity in that person's life. And it causes laziness. Oh, the coach is going to pursue me, so I don't really have to run laps. One example of that was when in junior league, there was this one kid who was super good. If the coaches were pursuing him or pursuing him, he stopped being, he stopped pursuing uh, learning and he just became mediocre at best. And he was the top athlete, prideful, mediocre, and lazy. If the athlete is pursuing the coach, the athlete will then, there'll be a humility there. There'll be an exceptionalism in uh, his output or her output. There'll be a uh, vivacious, alive, uh, opposite of lazy work ethic, right? If the coach is available and fully invested, he'll sacrifice his time. He'll look for the best and, and seek out the best in, in, this, in this 
um, athlete's life. He'll speak the truth in love, and that athlete will be able to receive it if that athlete is pursuing the coach. But if the coach is not available, not available to act, to be part of that, to be in that relationship, the coach won't invest his time. He won't give his time up. The coach will always seize problems, always criticize, and the coach will not be honest. So you got this paper up here. I got to show this to you. I don't know what time it is, but this is super exciting. All right. I'm going to just draw um, a, a Venn diagram, something if you hang out with Tim Peer at all, you'll know a Venn diagram. Yeah, so, so I don't even actually know if this is a Venn diagram, but that's what I'm going to call it. So um, I'm going to draw four circles. And you notice they don't overlap right there. So this is, this is the coach being available. This is the coach not available. All right, let's call this the, I want to make sure, yeah, yeah, okay, good. This is, let's call this the athlete being available, and this is the athlete not available, All right? We got that? Coach available, available to teach, available to mentor, an athlete who's available, who's, who's pursuing, going after, a coach who's not available, who doesn't have the time, doesn't want to do it, doesn't want to be part of it, um, or yeah, or there's pride or something like that, or an athlete not available. The athlete is not pursuing the coach at all. Coach available, coach not available, athlete available, athlete not available. So, so right here, this space, this overlapping space, um, I'm going to call it zero performance. I mean, at its worst, there is no performance there, right? A coach that's not available and an athlete who's not available, there is no performance there. Uh, there's decline. Um, it's going backwards. It's not good. This spot right here, I'm going to call, call it optimal. Opti oh, whoops, sorry. Op <laughs> optimal. When you write sideways, an O looks like an A. Optimal performance. This is the sweet spot. When the coach is available and the athletes are pursuing, there's a sweet spot of, of beauty and a wonderful thing going on. But there's also two spots here, this spot and this spot. And those are confusing spots because you have a coach who's available, but an athlete who's not, or an athlete who's available, but a coach who's not. Am I talking too fast, honey? Okay, slow down. When I get excited, I talk fast, sorry. <clears throat> there's two spots there. Those spots can represent um, discouragement and frustration. This spot represents a frustrated, a frustrated coach, <laughs> trying and trying, trying. This spot is going to represent an athlete who is discouraged. You can put your own thoughts in there, of course, but this is optimal. I want to push and, and encourage our church to move forward in such a way that we are bouncing on the optimal places in our lives, that we have a coach in our life, and we are being coached, and it is optimal, and it is growth, and we are growing in Christ together. A year of increase. This is a year of increase, growing in Christ together. Let's get here. Throughout this month, I'm going to push us, push us, push us to get to this spot and ask all of you to be a coach and ask all of you to be an available athlete, an available uh, a mentor and an av available mentee pursuing. It really, when I kind of go forward and think about what this can do to a church body, a community of believers, it can radically transform things. It can make things so beautiful and, and authentic and wonderful. But of course, this points to Jesus. It really does. Because Jesus says, in, um, uh, imitate me. He says that through Paul or, or Peter as well. But in 1 Peter 2, 21, it says this. For to those... Uh, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. One of the most beautiful things about being mentored by somebody is following in their steps. If you're a parent and you've walked in snow, you really understand this. You've walked in deep snow, trudging along. I remember my father and my own boys walking through the snow and you look behind you and you see one foot, one set of footprints because the kids are going into the into the next one into the next one 
to keep their cells clean and dry. Most of them. There might be that one over there going <laughs> through the snow, right? Walking in the footsteps of Christ. Walking in the footsteps of a mentor. Listen, I understand that we aren't a big church, and so there aren't a lot of people who are old and wise like Pat and Ron. But even Pat and Ron would come up here and tell you that they need mentors in their life. And it's not only about age. It is often about age because we've lived and we've seen and we've understood. One of the things I loved, if you don't know, Josh and Ellie are married. Job, Josh and Ellie. <laughs> they got married over the, uh, the Christmas holiday season. And, uh, but what, one thing I really appreciated about you guys is that you pursued counseling, Josh and Ellie. You didn't just wait for me to find you. You, in, in fact, Ellie would say, how about this Tuesday? Does this Tuesday work for you? And sometimes I'm, I'm so sorry it doesn't work. And then next Tuesday, does this next Tuesday work? They pursued counseling. That is remarkable. If we are pursuing counseling, God will, there will be a mentor available to us. And that mentor might not be older than you. It might be younger than you. It might be somebody who's gone through marriage for 30 years. Or it might be somebody who's learning and growing. Often as a mentor, we want to find somebody who's been there and done that. There's a Chinese uh, pastor who I was reading recently. And he calls the, there's thousands of people in their Chinese network of house churches. And he calls people two things. He calls them members. Or he calls them Jesus followers. He says most of our people are members. They're members of the church. They come. They worship. They, uh, they give tithes. Um, they're, they're part of ministry. They're members. Praising God for that. He goes, then there's Jesus followers. There's people who are allowing Jesus to mentor them. In America, we call pretty much everybody who comes to church a Jesus follower. <laughs> He's calling people who are Jesus followers are starting churches. People are becoming Christians all around them all the time. They're mentoring others. They're discipling others constantly. They are people who are walking in the footsteps of Jesus himself. Woo! That's exciting. All right. Do we have one more song? We're going to sing one more song. <clears throat> We're going to enter into this year coming out of being identified for a purpose and go into this year of, uh, of uh, um, uh, increase and growing in Christ together. And uh, I look forward to sharing you some ways that we can get involved in mentoring relationships. So inside of our house churches, kind of out of Sunday morning, but in these smaller groups of three, uh, maybe two or three or four people um, inside these, these groups that there's intentional mentorship. And I'm going to help by giving you um, access to um, material to help with that and help the engagement with that. That's super, super exciting. And I pray that those mentoring relationships then step over the line into business relationships into uh, neighborhood coffee shop relationships, into neighborhood, and, and they're not just among Christian brothers and sisters. Father, thank you for this morning. Wow, you're so wonderful, and I thank you for the way you bring together your word. I thank you for the way you give us your, your, um, your words of life, and I pray that we would follow those, Lord. And I pray that this month of encouragement and mentorship would be such a beautiful way to start this year out. In the name of Jesus, we worship you. Amen.